Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello once again, dear listener. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. And this, again, is going to be a special, special because... I um, <laughs> don't know why two specials. Because I've been delving into some of the archives and interviews I've done from the past and thought, um, hey, let's get some of those out, dust them down and bring them out. This is, um, this is one that I did a few years ago, probably over five, six years ago, with Dweezil Zappa who was um, doing some dates in the UK and coming to Cambridge. And uh, he was playing the work of Frank Zappa. So um, I did the interview. It's here. I'm going to play a track by Frank Zappa. Then we'll have the interview. This is going to be Hungry Freaks, Daddy. Mr. America, walk on by your schools that do not teach. Mr. America, walk on by the minds that won't be reached. Mr. America, try to hide the emptiness that's you inside. But once you find that the way you lied and all the corny tricks you tried will not forestall the rising tide of hungry freaks, Daddy. Oh 
And there you go, that is Frank Zappa with a track titled Hungry Freaks Daddy. Hello, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. And this is a special from the archives because I spoke to Dweezil Zappa probably about five, six years ago when he was doing a tour of the UK and come to Cambridge to uh, play the work of Frank, I do believe. And this is the interview and this is where I just probably mentioned something interesting like... Tell us about that project, Dweezil, and he then replied. And this was it. Dweezil, take it away. The uh, project came about um, back in... Uh, I actually started studying the music in 2004 uh, before I even put the band together um, because I had this feeling that, you know, in my lifetime, I did not want to see my father's music just disappear because uh, I had noticed that people were, you know, of the younger generations were not familiar with anything. Sure. My father's music, you know, if you said, you know, what do you know about Frank Zappa? they say, who? You know, if, they, if people were under 30, most people didn't know anything about him. So I just decided that I wanted to do at least one thing yeah. to give a, a an opportunity to a, a newer generation to be exposed to the music in a live setting because that's really the key to understanding and appreciating my dad's music. Um, uh, and the reason for that is when you see what's required to actually play the music, the precision, uh, the intricacies that are, are part of the whole thing, that's, um, that's something that allows you to want to go deeper into the music. Um, and uh, so... I studied the music for two years, then I put a band together, and we decided to do a celebration of the music, and I had a few of his uh, former band members uh, join us for a few songs, and uh, and it was exciting, and uh, the audiences w- were appreciative of it, and they wanted more, so the the, uh, the project has uh, continued since 2006, and we've learned more than 300 songs right. <laughs> since... Uh, since then, and, and we've performed a lot of different um, uh, versions of some of the, the same songs. We really dive deep into um, the catalog to uh, select the material that, that we're doing. But the the real the real message behind doing this is to emphasize what makes Frank's music unique um, and and sort of uh, re-educate the audience to understand um, what he was about in in the broad spectrum of, of his music, because too many people have the uh, the misguided uh, understanding that his music is novelty music or comedy music, and and that really happened because the music that got on the radio. Right. Uh, were songs like Don't Eat the Yellow Snow or Valley Girl or Bobby sure. Brown or Dancing Fool. And those songs do have a, a sort of comedic narrative to them. But mm-hmm. as far as the totality of my father's work, he might have 30 songs over 80 albums that, 
that have that kind of thing, and the rest of it is a completely different style of music. Mm. Because the other, so, cause, yeah, because you were saying earlier about you know the young audience not not sort of coming across Frank Zappa's work so much, but the other artists at that time and and um, also in the seventies as well. That that's I think he still managed to sort of keep going his Captain Beefheart's kind of catalogue of work. Is there you know what because both of them played together at certain times, didn't they? And they knew each other. Yeah, they were friends. They they were you know uh, they went to school together, and and uh, Frank uh, had him perform on some of his music, and Frank produced some of Captain Beefheart's music, and and um, you know so uh, his music is definitely uh, you know also uh, wildly outside of uh, normal music, you know. So sure. uh, it's hard it's hard for people to be exposed to it unless they're seeking it out. Yeah, absolutely. Because actually the first time I ever came across Frank Zappa was, this was in the mid-70s and um, I was about 10 at the time. And I remember going around to a friend's house and there was this poster on his sister's wall and she was a bit older. She must have been 15 or 16. And it was, it, it turned out to be Frank Zappa naked sitting on the toilet. And that was my first, and obviously being 10, you know, at the time, this was the mid-70s. So it was, you know, like the Basie Dorellas, Donny Osmond, all that glam stuff. And then suddenly this kind of, I sort of slowly sort of started to find out a bit more about Frank, you know, but this is the 70s, so it was really difficult to get hold of records because it's not like now you just go to the internet and you can just listen to YouTube or Spotify. So it was kind of harder to get to. But again, he did have a much more of a cult, you know, status in that period. And, and the person or the type of people who liked him were obviously more outsiders, weren't they? Yeah, and, and to a certain degree, um, that that little clique or niche club that that decided that, uh, you know, that was the music for them, they also sort of felt proprietary about it, and it wasn't like they wanted to share and invite more people in. It's, you know, there, there's a certain weird thing that happens socially with music. You know, uh, some people uh, like to covet Yes. what they think is cool and not share it with other people and if it becomes too widely popular they abandon it you know they're well, like well yes, i absolutely. found it first and and i don't you know now that other people like it it's not for me you know? yeah absolutely well i guess that's how i started coming across more music from from you know the 60s and 70s i it was the sort of discovering something no one spoke about and then sort of being really fed up if someone actually said yes i like that band you know there were bands like spirits captain beefheart and even the grateful dead you know they weren't particularly popular in the sort of where I came from, which was the sort of, um, you know, East Anglia and, and stuff like that in the 80s. So somehow being part of a small club was quite an important thing for, for us music purists, I guess. Well, you know, for me, it's hard to, uh, to understand um, that sort of proprietary, uh, you know, fan ownership, if you will, <laughs> because, uh, I, you know, music... Is, is made to be appreciated by anyone that comes across it, you know. So it's weird when people, uh, some people become quite adamant about, you know, like, oh, you don't know Frank Zappa, and they, they uh, you know, they, they test each other's metal or test each other's knowledge about, you know, what they do or do not know. You're not a real fan. Yes. It's like, it's that kind of weird stuff. It's and a kind it's, of a geek uh, thing, like, isn't it? Yeah, it's like what? Why is there a competition over this? You yes, know, it's I like know. you know, uh, I, I just don't that that kind of stuff. I I don't 
spend too much time trying to figure out. It just doesn't make any sense to but me. But it, it must with. be different because you're a musician, whereas I'm just a music fan. So it's a kind of a different thing, I guess. You know, and also, you're you want to sort of keep the the kind of work of you know Frank Zappa alive, which is a different thing also. And I would imagine, you know, as with most people, like people with my mentality, you you know, one grows up and realizes if someone else likes the same band that you feel very precious about, it's an okay thing. But I think when you're younger, music it was a quite a territorial thing as well. You know, you were either a rocker or a mod, or you were into indie pop or rap music. Well, I mean, it's it's the same. Uh uh, mentality of uh, basically using um, you know music or your style of dress as the thing that is the billboard that tells the rest of the world this is who I am as a person. Oh well, yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. It's an identity, isn't it? I mean, I think, mm-hmm. and yes, and and I, I guess when you're getting old, you know, as you, especially younger, you know, it's a it's a badge of I suppose a badge of honor as sort of okay, you know, I like this band because it, it represents such a thing and, you know, that makes me in my own little mind, you know, either sophisticated or cool or an outsider and I, w- I would imagine that's the same with people who like Captain Beefheart or Frank Zappa or The Grateful Dead. There was a sort of a, it's a club isn't it really? And and you can't just kind of dip in and out like it's it's Donny Osmond. It's kind of like if you're in you've got to be in and you've got to know the work. I think that's kind of how that work, world works. Um, it it, it it seems to operate, you know, somewhat uh, under those terms, but you know, I mean, uh, everybody has their their things they like and and how they want to uh, display who they are to the rest of the world. You know, these days people do it very antisocially uh, under the guise of being social uh, on the internet. You know, like people don't talk to each other anymore; they write messages or they sure. they put up their little billboard that says, you know, who they are and and uh, hey, I'm listening to this right now, or I just ate a piece of bacon, you know, and that's that's what people are uh, yes. into uh, these days. You put them face to face, and and they don't know what to do anymore. Mm. But that's all a bit of a weird word. But just you know, aside from from this particular project that you're doing, Roxy and elsewhere, what about your own solo career? And how you know how's that sort of developed? Because obviously, you're one of the people. You know, whose whose father, mother, you know, has has you know was a well known artist in the media, and then you're one of the children, and then you have to find your own niche in life. How's that developed? Well, you know, the, uh, I never put a lot of thought into that. Uh, you know, it's usually um, journalists that have more of an interest in you know what that is. But the the funny thing is, uh, there's there's sort of a counterintuitive thing that has happened in the sense that. Um, Many people would say, if you want to find your own way, you would distance yourself from whatever your family heritage is, right? Yeah. So the last thing people would typically recommend would be like, oh, yeah, go and do exactly what your father did. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, uh, but the the weird thing about the fact that I have taken on this this, uh, project is that in doing so, it put me in direct comparison to what his level of skill was. And so many people probably would say, well, that's exactly what you don't want to do. That would be, you know, the kiss of death. But um, my, uh, my feeling was if I put a band together that focused on playing the music um, with respect to the intent of you know the composer and let the music speak for itself, 
I don't have anything to worry about because the the quality of the music will speak for itself and the quality of the performance will say everything that's that's needed to say. I don't have to say a word. Sure. And that's pretty much how it turned out, you know, like people were wanting to be skeptical from the beginning as they like to do, you know, people like to sit there on the internet and write negative things before they've seen something just based on the concept, oh, the son of, that's going to be terrible, he's going to ruin the music, and he's, his dad will be rolling over in the grave, and all this kind of bullshit that you you know you see people try to, to write. But then uh, when you put it in direct comparison to the music, um, they don't have an argument anymore, because uh, what we do is at a very, very high standard, and uh, it's been recognized as such, you know. I mean, we've won a Grammy Award, and we've won all kinds of other things uh, that uh, are respected things. We've we've been uh, basically uh, applauded for our efforts because it's it's like training for the Olympics to learn this music. You know, Absolutely. this is not something you just go up and and uh, fumble your way through. Fantastic. Well, Dweezil, look, thank you ever so much for the interview. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And that was me in conversation with Weasel Zappa, talking about a tour that he did with Frank many, with Frank, doing the music of Frank Zappa many years ago. Anyway, this is David Eastall, Babylon. It's late. I'm tired. But uh, if you want to contact me, you can via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but if you did, uh, contact me through that by going to at C86show. Um, there you go. It's it's normally uh, it's an indie show, so there's a sort of um, it's it all makes sense if you know indie pop from the eighties. And uh, yes, if you do, say hi. Keep it positive and uh, nice. Otherwise, don't bother. And also, all these shows have been archived, so you can find them on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, and Mixcloud. Mostly, um, they are sort of. 80s indie bands from that golden decade, but I have been going through the archives and finding some other little gems that I had many years ago. And I thought, hey, let's dust them down, put them out there. You never know. Someone might be interested. They might not, but I don't care. Life's too short. This is going to be one more track, but I'll say goodbye for now. Bye. (laughs) Anyway, have a great week. Think I'll just drop out I'll go to Frisco, buy a wig And sleep on Owsley's floor Walk past the wig store back home. I'm really just a phony, but forgive me cause I'm stoned. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. How I love you, how I love you, how I love you, Frisco. How I love you, how I love you, how I love you, Frisco. How I love you, how I love you, how I love you, Frisco.
love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you. Oh, my hair is getting good in the back. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. Go to San Francisco. Hot First I'll buy some beads. And then perhaps a leather band to go around my head. Some feathers and bells and a book of Indian lore. I will ask the Chamber of Commerce how to get to Hate Street and smoke an awful lot of dope. I will wander around barefoot. I will have a psychedelic gleam in my eye at all times. I will love everyone. I will love the police as they kick the shit out of me on the street. I will sleep. I will go to a house. That's, that's what I will do. I will go to a house where there's a rock and roll band because the groups all live together. And I will join a rock and roll band. I will be their road manager. And I will stay there with them and I will get the crabs. But I won't care. 